Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on C-Jam's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on C-Jam 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit. Sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor, Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. In this segment of our show, Sarah Kennedy will be telling us about the Petrie Island Canoe Club. So, can you tell me a little bit about the Canoe Club? Um, I started the club, um, I, I actually had no intention of starting a club by myself. Um, I thought we would run under Rito Canoe Club, who's been around for like 120 years. Um, but I grew up at Canoe Clubs in uh, on the East Coast, and... I wanted that for our area of the city, so I asked uh, the big established canoe club, Rito, if they would um, let me do like an intro program under their banner, um, and they were okay with that as long as you know I just took care of all of it. Um, so I did that for three years, and then we had like a waiting list and the boats that we had were for little kids but our kids were getting bigger and they kept coming back year after year and I didn't want to turn them away. So you offer uh, an adaptive program if I'm not mistaken as well. Have um, like if if kids come in it's mostly kids who we serve at this point Um, so if kids come in and they have some kind of physical disability we can accommodate or some kind of developmental disability that we can accommodate. We just put them into our programs um, wherever they fit best. Um, And sometimes I know about a kid in the community and I make a special effort to bring them in um, because their, their parents are typically really frustrated that there's nothing available for them. Um, So for example, Um, I got the two older siblings of a little person, and I don't know if that counts as a disability, but it kind of is, because she has more difficulty swimming, um, and then she's also not the right size to fit in most equipment. So we would have to adapt a boat to fit her size so that she could reach the steering stick so that she could work the rudder. Um, So I've been trying to get that kid to come to my club for this is the third year um and I get her older siblings but I haven't gotten her yet um 
anyway, so I, I will make an effort to just personally reach out to the the parents and say, listen, we're, we're happy to accommodate, just, you know, um, get her swim levels so that she can, you know, pass the swim test and then we'll, we'll make a boat to suit her. Um, anyway, so that's like just one example. And then uh, we actually have a program for um, kids and adults with uh, developmental disabilities. Um, so just like a special Olympics program. It used to be called Paddle All. And they have it at a lot of clubs across the country. Um, and it's it's actually, like, it's really good for our club, just um, our club dynamic to run that program. Because I get to see how my volunteers work with the participants. They're, like, paddling buddies with the, the it's all guys. I, we never get girls in that program. Um, but... Our volunteers are paddling buddies with um, the Special Olympians, and I get to see them interact, and um, I I get to hire out of that pool of volunteers based on their performance interacting with our Special Olympians, and it's a really good learning performance for them. A lot of them have never had any experience interacting on a personal level with somebody who has like Down syndrome, for example. Anyway, um, so I feel like it's really, really good for the club to run that program. Um, anyway, that's over and above just like providing a program that's needed in the in the um, neighborhood. And as for physical disabilities, we accommodate those that we can. Um, and if it's something that we can't accommodate, we would send them to Rito or Ottawa River, who have. Um, more resources than we do. So, I'm kind of curious. Uh, when you mentioned about uh, the Special Olympics-based program, uh, what are some of the benefits that someone with, say, Down syndrome might enjoy from being out on the water and being a part of joint canoeing effort? It's like all of the same benefits that anybody else would experience. You're out in nature. Um, we're, we're at a nature reserve. Like Petrie Island is a nature reserve. And it's gorgeous. Every single day it's gorgeous. We see animals uh, all around us all the time. There's always a beaver, a muskrat, or an otter, or blue herons, or like all kinds of different kinds of ducks and, and birds of prey and all around us all the time. Um, so that's really cool, and, and turtles and fish and stuff. Um, that's that's super cool. Some people are into it. Some people could care less and just um, you know are, are interested in their at home life more than that, and never really like glom on to the nature part of things. But people who appreciate nature um, and just being out there, and it's it's beautiful every day. Very beautiful every day and that you know that Japanese talk about uh, forest bathing well you get that every single time you go out paddling and it, the benefits are the same for somebody with a disability as for anybody else um, and so that's like one one thing that I personally enjoy a lot about paddling and I feel like it's it's really quite valuable 
Um, if they're interested in competing, that is certainly a uh, an option for them. Um, there's a bunch of a bunch of kids across our division who compete, and it's awesome. They enjoy it a lot. It's very much about participation. I'm pretty sure everybody gets a medal in the end, um, and yeah, it's it's. Again, it's really great for everybody at the regatta to have these kids, they're mostly kids, have these kids as part of our community. Like, it's, it's good for us. Um, and they also, the kids who are in this program, feel very much a part of the community and everybody ends up getting to know them and then they end up meeting other athletes from other clubs. Um, and, of course, they, they get to know whatever athletes are at their club, too. There's a, a big social component to it. So. And I find more and more, um, like, the kids who come down, they're the same kids who are in all of the other programs that are available to kids with developmental disabilities in our area. So they'll already know each other. So in your time with the adapted programs, uh, coordinating that and making everything run, is there any success story that stands out for you? Um, when a parent is really, uh, really burdened by just not having access to, um, to any kind of recreation for their child and their relief and joy seeing that this is something that's available for their kid. And uh, that, that's like, that's most, if not all, of our Special Olympians. Their, their parents are just super grateful that there's something available. Um, yeah, and, you know, like, I, I'm trying to think of somebody who stands out more than, more than the others, but, like, all of the parents... That, that's a, a common thread. They're very grateful that the program exists. And I feel like uh, there's probably not enough programs for, um, for people with de developmental disabilities. And, and that's why they're so grateful. I'd thank you for taking the time out to do this. But if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. In this segment of our show, Beth Prever will be telling us a little bit about hands-on. So, can you tell me a little bit about hands-on? Uh, sure thing. Um, we are an art service organization uh, working in New York City since uh, 1982. Um, we provide access services for deaf and hard of hearing audiences uh, to New York City theaters through providing sign language and interpreted performances. Um, we also maintain a website that where we um, kind of publicize and advertise other cultural events in New York that are accessible to deaf people in the area. Um, we also list resources and some other pertinent information to assist. So when it comes to uh, the sign language interpretation for theater, are there any myths or misperceptions about uh, being deaf or hard of hearing and their ability to enjoy a show that you've ever encountered? Um, 
I'm not sure if there's misperceptions about that. I think there's misperceptions about um, the, the whole program of providing sign language interpreters and making assumptions that because you have an interpreter, the deaf people will show up. And so I'm, I'm very much, um, I, I'm very involved in the idea of um, promotion and marketing and engagement um, because just because you have an interpreter doesn't mean you'll have an audience. And so it really is kind of a twofold program. Um, there's no point to have an interpreter if there's no deaf audience and vice versa. So it really, it really has to be worked on simultaneously. So when you mention marketing and promotions, how do you go about reaching out to the deaf and hard of hearing community? Um, well, I mean, to start with us, because I think we've been around for so long, um, we have somewhat of a kind of name within the community for what we do. So we have a we have a fairly large kind of email list for people, um, and and definitely no um, different you know social media sites to promote different uh, different. Um, shows that we're doing on, but you know, even even for us, I mean, we're recognizing that there's definitely communities that we're not reaching, and so with a lot of the shows that we've been um, that we've done, in, you know, in the recent past, especially that deal with a specific um, community group, whether it's you know, uh, you know, black deaf people or um, Latino deaf people. Um, you know, definitely deafness is kind of one aspect of a person, but there's definitely kind of um, other communities within the deaf community that are communities that we want to reach out to. So shows that we do that have a specific you know, kind of identity representation involved, we're very aware that we want to have interpreters kind of representing those communities as well. Um, and then having, you know, then kind of finding the people to reach out to those communities to let them know that there's something specific. So it's it's really similar to, I think, how a lot of the theaters themselves are going about kind of reaching out to communities, whether it's BIPOC communities, you know, communities of color, communities with a certain identity um, because of the shows that they're doing. And we're trying to, you know, do a similar kind of ex experience. So... You're basically reaching for the community within the community, if I'm hearing Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not easy. It's really, I mean, but we're also finding, I mean, for example, we did, um, this was pre-pandemic. So we did Soldiers Play, Soldiers Story. Now I can't remember which one. It was, a, it was a, it's either Soldiers Play or Soldiers Story. I'm sorry about that. I'm at Roundabout Theater. And it was, you know, predominantly a, a black cast. And we had you know, black interpreters, and we had black directors of interpreters, um, and we definitely did a special push to kind of reach out to that community. We did some after-show um, kind of receptions with both um, audience members as well as the interpreters and people that were involved in the shows just to get people interested. And we definitely saw... an a new audience or audiences that we hadn't seen before. So it's, it really is trying to reach out um, by getting other people that are involved in the show of 
who work in that, who are in that community to kind of tell their friends and kind of reach out to those communities. So I'm guessing the interpretation itself has to be done very rapidly as not to disrupt the flow of performance so, to follow the nuances. Well, I mean, the interpreters that we work with are really good interpreters. So they're, I mean, the interpretation generally is is fairly simultaneous. Um, and they rehearse. So they, you know, they're not just kind of coming in and doing it first time. So they've had a lot of experience with the show. They've seen a lot of rehearsals. They work, they've worked with um, Dazzle. So a Dazzle is a, is a deaf artistic sign language. I'm sorry, I'm going back. Director of Artistic Sign Language, a Dazzle. So um, that's a deaf person that we always have a deaf person involved in the production along with the interpreters. So they've had a lot of work you know, prior to the performance, um, seeing the show, working with their translations, working with their teams. So, so they're pretty, they're pretty skilled by the time they get to the performance. So, in your time with Hands On, is there any success moment that stands out for you? Success moment. Well, it, it, I guess it's. I mean, we've we've done a lot of shows that were kind of special shows. I guess that's that I'm saying. I mean, to me, a successful show is like a deaf audience enjoying the show. So that's success. But we've had like some special um, situations. We did um, a one man. John Lithgow did a show called I think Stories Stories by Me. Uh, you'll have to look up the, that's the exact title. But it was a one man show that he did around about the theater several years ago and we had one interpreter and he was he was so incredibly welcoming to the interpreter like he introduced the interpreter to the whole audience. He talked about the deaf audience as being not so much a segregated deaf audience but he introduced this community to the entire audience as this is a roundabout theater audience. And so, um, but he was, he was just really, you know, he kind of introduced from the, from the stage at the beginning that usually he does a one man show tonight. It was going to be a two man show because it was him and the sign language interpreter. And it was just that kind of experience of, we know that it was his show but we were a part of the whole show. And I think that that made it special for the audience. And, and I will say that over the years, you know, we've done shows, anytime that there's some kind of inclusion, we did a production of Cabaret that Alan Cumming was in, and he came out at the beginning of the first song and signed the, the first few lines of the show because he wanted to welcome deaf people to the theater. So it's, it's those kind of experiences, I think, that we've come to over the years that just make it, I think, special to this audience, but really give you this feeling that you're part of the production. I'd like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Sure. Handy Link will be right back after these commercial messages, so stay tuned. So you're hanging with your inner circle. Maybe you're making cocktails. Maybe you're packing bowls. Even while we're distancing, it's important to remember, alcohol and cannabis each mess with your driving skills. Be cool. Make sure you and your friends get home safe.
take a cab if you need to. A few bucks could save a life. And we can do it again next weekend. A message from Arrive Alive, Drive Sober. Welcome back to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor, Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, Sarah Kennedy told us a little bit about the Petrie Island Canoe Club, and Beth Prever told us a little bit about hands-on. In this segment of our show, Jordan Herbison will be telling us a little bit about CDPP. So, can you tell me a little bit about your work with CDPP? Yeah, uh, sure, Ken. Um, so the CDPP, it's, it's an alliance of, of university, public, private, and uh, government partners uh, who all work together and the goal is really to try and enhance community participation among Canadians with physical disabilities and there's there's three main areas of, of focus uh, employment mobility and sport and exercise um, so my work with the CDPP is focused in the in the sport and exercise uh, arm and really our, our main aim there is to try and uh, increase community participation in sport and exercise for uh, people who have uh, physical disabilities. So what are some of the common barriers that might be faced by someone with a physical disability? It's more of an awareness thing or uh, are there actual uh, equipment challenges? Or? Oh, oh yeah, there's uh, many different uh, accessibility and uh, many different barriers to um, to access to sort of sport and exercise opportunities for uh, people living with physical disabilities. The first most obvious one come, that comes to mind is accessibility. So uh, can people access buildings, are opportunities accessible, um, access to equipment that allows them to participate. Um, but, um, you know, there's, there's many more, um, you know, many more barriers. It could also be sort of staffing in some of these uh, sport and exercise settings like our, our staff uh, equipped with the training to properly um, help people with, with different physical disabilities to participate or to, um, you know, uh, access different types of equipment. So um, it's, it's a broad range of, of barriers for sure. But um, I guess the first one I would highlight would be accessibility. So uh, in terms of the project itself, what would be the ideal outcome in terms of uh, encouraging participation? What would you like to see added? Yeah, I think um, the main outcome that I think would would be um, sort of the, the aspiration for our group would, would really be to have um, sort of a, a valid playbook where anybody who lives in a community of 50,000 people could pick up that playbook and with support from our research group be able to start uh, a power chair uh, sport program uh, in, in that community of, of 50,000 people, giving access to people who maybe live in, in smaller communities um, 
and whereas you know as it currently stands many of the the power share support opportunities are, are based in, in larger city centers and we know that um you know there are a lot of people who uh who have different physical disabilities who uh, who require the use of power chairs who live in smaller communities and maybe currently don't have access. So, how are you reaching out to the disability population to let them know about this project? Yeah, we um, we have a lot of different um, collaborations, partnerships, um, where we are um, disseminating different um, types of materials to try and raise awareness of of the projects, uh, for example, the, the CDPP has, has a network uh, of different organizations and individuals across Canada, and, and through them we're sharing um, information on the, the various studies that we currently have on the goal related to this project. So uh, leveraging a lot of those partnerships and, and word of mouth and trying to uh, to get people to, to check out our, our landing page on the Canadian Disability Participation uh, project website, uh, along with uh, reaching out to us via email or phone to, to get involved. I'd imagine with uh, this being such a mass undertaking, there are some challenges in coordinating the effort. Uh, you found any as you've been going along? Yeah, I think COVID has really, uh, um, you know, taken a toll on people and they're, they're um, you know, being asked to to participate in, in variety of studies and um, so recruitment right now it's been it's been steady but it's been um, a little taking a little bit longer it's been a little bit slower than what we would typically see and and really we just attribute that to um, you know people um, with the pandemic have just been you know probably inundated with requests for participating in this type of uh, in, in research in general or you know just being asked to be online a lot more so. Um, so we're still optimistic and we're, we're making progress and we've had a lot of uh, people come to the table who've been enthusiastic about helping us with our recruitment efforts. So so we're very optimistic about it. Um, it's just like I said, it's been, been steady but a little bit slower than what we've expected. So to look at the converse side of things, in your efforts with the participation project, what are some of the successes? Well, I, I think... Um, the, the thing that really stands out to me is um, when people learn about what we're trying to do in terms of increasing access to quality power chair support opportunities, uh, when they learn about that, when they get involved, uh, when they sit down and talk to us, um, there's a lot of enthusiasm around the impact that this could have for um, not only opportunities in Canada, but also um, perhaps opportunities at more of an international level, whether that's, you know, um, getting more sports in the Paralympics that, uh, that include, um, you know, individuals who require the use of power chairs, uh, to participate or compete. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's really that enthusiasm and excitement, um, for, um, what could come down the line from this is, is really, uh, something that stands out. So, in your specific aspect of the project, how are you challenging the myths and stereotypes concerning what an athlete with a disability can do and what they might require? Um, well, I think at this stage, it's it's really um, 
you know, we're trying to raise awareness for um, the project that we're running and, and that's involved, you know, opportunities like this to speak with people or to write articles and, and really try and illustrate the, uh, the importance of providing, providing these opportunities to sort of counter a lot of stereotypes that might be out there about um, the abilities of, of people who have physical disabilities who, um, you know, require these power chairs to, to compete in sport. Um, so I think down the line, though, the, the biggest impact will be um, creating more of these opportunities in communities and having people um, exposed to athletes who um, use power chairs to compete in their sport to see, you know, how exciting the sports are and how athletic these uh, individuals are. Um, I think that's where you'll see the biggest change, um, hopefully towards the end of this project as, as sort of the... Uh, the opportunities start to materialize in communities. Like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. My friends, disability art always speaks volumes to me, and so much as there's so much creativity locked in anyone. Their abilities are simply the way a person expresses themselves. But the fact is, you have things like deaf art, tactile art, all these different mediums. You can create something that can appeal to many audiences, and something that shares your story as a creator, as someone who's making the world a better place. When an audience member sees such art, and it moves them, does it really matter that someone might have used an adaptive tool to create it? This has been HandyLink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal. So get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.